What she's actually done is continued to follow the same terrible advice that her horrible father gave her as a child at the beginning of the movie. Yes, her father is horrible. He is the one that goes to her and says, conceal, don't feel. Here are these gloves that will magically make everything better. And so she can't cope with any of the things she's... Anyway, okay. I know you didn't expect to psychoanalyze a Disney movie this morning, but it becomes an anthem, you know, this idea of letting go, and yet we have a horrible perspective on what that actually looks like, and it doesn't help us get past these insurmountable obstacles that we deal with sometimes to actually learn how to forgive and feel free to do that in our life. Forgiveness is hard for a lot of reasons. It's hard because, um, well, sometimes we just like to be mad, right? If we're honest, sometimes it feels good to be angry because that means we're doing something about it. It's like, man, by golly, you did that thing to me, and I'm going to be mad at you. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to let it go at all. We're going to hold a grudge because that's the only thing we can control. Can't control the person, can't change the circumstance. We think, man, it it feels better to be angry about this. Forgiveness is hard because um, sometimes we're hurt, and the only thing that makes us feel better is to try to hurt the person who hurt us or to hope that they get hurt. So that's why it's hard. Sometimes it's hard because the person who hurt or offended us, sometimes, sometimes they don't care. Sometimes they're not actually sorry that they hurt or offended us. And it can be hard to deal with that. The injustice that we feel when we're tricked, given bad advice, offended, betrayed, harmed, or even maybe just been on the receiving end of somebody's bad mood for the day, creates a vicious cycle for us. Something that can impact us in the coming days, or the coming weeks, or months, sometimes for years. Sometimes it's a cycle that continues to impact generations of a family. And yet, one of the things that's true for us as Christians is that the culmination of God's grace is that he lets go of our injustice. That he chooses to forgive us no matter what we've done when we approach him to forgive, for forgiveness, and that that's something that we're supposed to live out as well. God's forgiveness of our sin against him is what gives us the freedom to forgive the sin that is done against us. In Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So we know, because we live in a broken world full of imperfect people, we're going to have plenty of opportunities, right? It doesn't make it sound so much more positive when we call it an opportunity. We have opportunities, we'll have plenty of opportunities to forgive other people. And yet, as Jesus is talking to disciples, and he knows that this is an issue that they're going to deal with as they continue to follow him and live through life. I mean, all of us have to deal with this issue. Before he ever gets to what we really want to know, and that is how can we actually accomplish this living a life of forgiving others, he deals with something that's a lot more 
important before we can ever learn to feel free to forgive. He says, before any of this, before you really we get down to what it looks like to forgive other people, here's one of the things that you need to be careful of in your life. You need to watch yourself closely that you don't become a part of the cycle that causes other people the need to forgive you. You need to make sure that you're not the one who's going around causing other people to sin and to be separated from God because this is, this is a big deal. Before you're ever worried about the offense that happens against you, you need to be concerned about that you're living your life in such a way that you're not causing others to offend their relationship and be separated from God. You're going to mess up for sure, but you've got to make sure you're taking yourself out of the cycle. You're going to sin at some point. We've all done it. We've all sinned against God, and we're in need of God's forgiveness, and even sometimes in the forgiveness of others. But be cautious about your position of power and influence. People like the children in your family or the people who are subordinate to your care in life, and make sure that you're careful about where you're leading them and how you might be causing them to stumble. Jesus talks about, he's just this very violent imagery, actually, where he talks about it's better for a person who does this and lives this kind of life for them to have a millstone that's used to grind grain and uh, press olive oil and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that would be better to be tied around their neck and tossed into the sea, and you know what the end result of that is. And his point, even though it sounds, sounds violent, his point is it, it's better to die a physical death than to cause the spiritual death of another person. This is such a big deal because our, our sin is what separates us from God, and this is what God does in order, th this is the issue or the problem that we have between us and God, and this is why he does what he does to save us. See, hurting people, we know this, I mean, this is, this is nothing new, but hurting people hurt people. Forgiven people forgive people. And this is the difference in how God calls his disciples and us to live our lives. Before we're ever to be concerned with how someone else has personally offended us, Christians <clears throat> are called to examine what kind of life cycle, regardless of what's been done to us or our past experiences, we're engaged in when it comes to sin and forgiveness. Even in how Jesus goes on to talk about forgiving someone their sin against us, the end result is not so much about us feeling sufficiently apologized to, as it is the other person being given the opportunity to not being weighed down by a spiritual debt. In verses 3 and 4, he says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, I, I want to be clear here. The, the Greek word for rebuke does not mean um, rage against offenses done to you on Facebook. I, just, just so you know, that, that is not what the Greek term means. It doesn't mean gossip about someone with a friend. It does not mean complain about the people that you have to interact with that you don't want to. It does not mean try to avoid them and ignore they exist. Just in case you were wondering what that word does not mean, what Jesus is telling us to do is to give the other person the opportunity to repent. Our, our rebuke is there for them to be able to be reconciled to us and therefore reconciled to God as well, not tell them off the way that you've always wanted to. See, so many times we get angry with people and we hold grudges and bitterness against people that we've never even talked to about the supposed offense that they've done against us. 
And so that person's going around there. They have no idea that you're upset with them. They have no idea that anything is the wrong or the matter. And yet we're holding this thing against them. We're separating ourselves from them just because of our own broken, selfish attitude. We are called to have the type of hope in our interactions with those people who have sinned against us that will lead to the opportunity to be able to forgive them after they repent, even if it happens over and over and over and over again. Seven times a day for the same thing. I'm just to let you know, my kid does the seven seven times does the same thing over and over in a day. I'm done. Okay, that, at that point, it's like, okay, I don't want to see you anymore. Go to your room, shut the door. Like we're we're done with this issue for the day. And Jesus says, no, that's that's not that's not how. You're called to live as a Christ follower. So why would he set this impossible expectation? Because it's what God does for us. Is he forgives the same thing over and over and over every single day. And, and Jesus isn't saying, well, they've got seven, so make sure you've got your notebook and your pen you know, with you because you need to make sure you mark everybody's name down and keep track of them and say, well, <laughs> you know, I've forgiven you six times, so you only got one left, buddy, so, so be careful. No, Jesus, as he uses the word seven, he's talking about this is an infinite number of times. He has, one of his followers, Peter, asks him uh, at, at a different time, he says, how many times should I forgive someone that they've sinned against me? And he says, 77 times, or depending on how you read the text, 70 times 7. And what he's saying is, that, I mean, this is blowing the disciples' mind at this point. He says, you, you do this on an infinite level because this is what God does for us. And in verse 5, the apostles hear this and they say to Jesus, this is going to be a lot harder than we thought. Okay, that's not what they actually say in the text, but they say to Jesus in verse 5, increase our faith. This is impossible. There's no way that we're going to be able to accomplish this in our life. And Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Jesus, throw us a bone here. We're going to need more faith. And Jesus says, no, you don't need more faith. He's saying, if you had any faith at all, then you would be able to accomplish this in your life. If you have any faith at all, you can forgive in such a way that it reflects God's forgiveness of you. So feeling free to forgive is not about the amount of faith that we need to exert in order to forgive the other person. It's about exercising faith. The faith that this pain and offense that has rooted itself in our lives and in our minds can be dug up and tossed into a place where it will wither and die. This tree that Jesus is talking about, the mulberry tree, um, has a very deep root system. And so when he talks about this and he says the name of this tree, the disciples are thinking, oh man, okay, those are really tough to dig up. And how is this, how can this, you know, that we be able to uproot this thing and toss it in the sea? And his whole point is that if you exercise any faith at all when it comes to forgiveness, you can take this thing that is deeply rooted into your life, no matter how many years you've been struggling with it and dealing with it, it, it can be dug up. It can be dealt with and can be tossed to a place where it will wither and die, that it cannot grow again, and that God will grant us the faith to do this when we put it into practice. So what does it look like? What does it look to put, like to put forgiveness into practice? Well, let's actually start by looking at some things forgiveness is not, because I think that's important too. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not. I mean, 
It would be great, I think, sometimes if we had the supernatural power to be able to erase memories from our mind. But each, each and every one of us have already, as soon as I said the word forgiveness, like you've had faces and you've had names pop into your head about people that you know. It's like, ah, oh, this is kind of a thing with them. It's not about forgetting. It's, that's not something that's demanded of us. It's a noble goal, but a lot of times we just try to forget without forgiving. And it's not what we're called to do. We think, ah, oh, we'll pack the feelings down real deep so no one will see them. But when you do that, nothing is really solved. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is also not ignoring. As long as everyone's smiling, it's, it's forgiveness. You know, something happens at work, a thing happens with your friend, and the next time you see each other, nobody says anything. Oh, hey, how are you doing? Everything's fine and copacetic. And so you just kind of let it get swept under the rug, and you don't deal with it. It's not what God's talking about. He's not talking about sweeping the problem under the, under the rug. Forgiveness is not kiss and make up. Uh, most of us learn this uh, idea wrongly from our parents. If we grew up with siblings and you know you were beaten on each other, I mean, <laughs> you know, as you do, you're having a fight and your parents come and they grab you and say, all right, now you guys need to, you guys need to tell each other you're sorry and you need, Billy, you need to forgive. You know, and, and that's what you, okay, I'll jump through this hoop and then five minutes later you're back at each other's throats right? Not just pretending or jumping through emotion or just saying the words to someone, I forgive you. No, it's deeper than that. Forgiveness is exchanging our longing for a better past for the hope of a better future. I think it's really important. I'll say it again. It's exchanging the longing for a better past for the hope of a better future. A lot of our inability to forgive stems from always thinking about what could have been or what should have been, but part of forgiveness is finally accepting this is what happened. And I can't change it. I wish I could, but I can't. The past is in the past. I'll never be able to change it. And so I need to release, I need to exchange my longing for a better past. The past I got is the past I have. <clears throat> Look, I'm, I'm not pretending to know what you might be bringing in with you this morning and what issue you might be having with forgiveness and, and not letting go of that thing in the past and exchanging for a better, better future. There may be an offense in your past, even the recent past, where the pain is unbearable and it's something that you've struggled with for years. I'm not suggesting that that past doesn't matter or that that pain doesn't matter or that you should ignore it or that that pain isn't real. There may be several steps of healing that need to take place for you. It might be a conversation with a person that you've been avoiding for years. It might be counseling. It might be sharing with a friend and saying, look, I'm struggling with this, and I need to not do it on my own. But when it comes to eventually moving forward, this exchange is vital because it starts to allow healing and that wound to be cleaned and to be again, begin to close up in our lives. A friend of mine, uh, Jim uh, sent me, he's our resident velocity uh, brain expert, uh, sent me a couple of articles this week about forgiveness and how it actually uh, impacts us from a physiological standpoint. Because this is, Je Jesus isn't just saying, you know, here's this, this really difficult hoop uh, that you need to jump through in order for you to prove uh, that you love God and so you need to forgive everyone in this really unnatural, tough, difficult way to do. Now, when we, when we practice forgiveness, it actually helps us to heal physically. Uh, there's a study done with two different groups uh, that had coronary issues. One group was put in a uh, learn how to forgive group. The other person was put in a uh, 
not learn how to forgive group, like we're just going to stay angry and we'll be perfectly cool with that. The group that was, went through the process and issue of learning how to develop forgiveness in their life experienced a change, a physical change in their health and well-being. Uh, one of the things that happens when we hold on to forgiveness, uh, on, on unforgiveness, uh, each time when we re- react and we think of, of the issues, the problems that we've had, it causes a, a stress response. And so it releases adrenaline, it releases cortisol, it releases this other thing that I'm not going to try to pronounce because I butchered it in first service. You can, you, you can think about this 20, uh, 20 times a day, and all of this, all of these chemicals flush your body, and they keep you from being able to be creative. They limit you from problem solving. They cause your brain to enter what is called the no-thinking zone. And over time, they lead us to depression and bitterness and feeling helpless and like a, forgive, like a, like a victim, and yet when we forgive... We start to wipe that clean. We exchange the longing for a better past for the hope of a better future. We can't change the past, but holding on to it is going to continue to hold on to that pain and never allow us to heal from that. And yet God gives us the promise for a better future. Uh, Forgiveness is releasing my right to retaliate. This is the hardest part. This is the fight or flight response because, man, there's nothing better than getting somebody back. Let's let's be honest. (laughs) It feels... Feels great. Okay, maybe I shouldn't admit that. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. There it is. There's the payoff. There's the loopholes. We forgive so we can heap burning coal. No, okay, maybe that. Maybe that's not the motivation, but it sounds good, right? Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we're not talking about, just to be clear, about the person who offended you on Facebook or stole your parking spot at Target. There are some serious offenses that many of us have been through and they're still, still dealing with the consequences of. They've ruined portions of our life parts of our life that we can never get back. And it's unnatural to forgive that. It would be much more natural to seek retaliation, but you know what? Forgiveness is unnatural. It takes faith. That's why it takes faith. That's why it takes Jesus. That's why it takes God showing up and being a part of it and forgiving the way that he forgives us. And that leads us to what, what I think is the most important part when it comes to forgiveness and actually feeling free to experience this, this in our life. Forgiveness <clears throat> is releasing our need to be the one who's wronged. And here's what I mean by this. It's releasing the need for us to be the one who's wronged. Here's what I mean by that. When somebody does something against us, they sin against us. <clears throat> Typically what we're thinking, at least what I'm thinking is, Man, they need to make that right with me. Because they've damaged our relationship, they've hurt our friendship, whatever the case may be, man, they they better take that first step towards me because man, they I can't believe they did this to me. But you know what the real issue is and what Jesus is trying to get across here and how we're supposed to forgive other people is is not that that person has sins against you, is that their sin ultimately and the real problem and consequence is against God. 
That's the biggest issue when it comes to the sin and the offense that we experience in our life. That's why we go to that brother and sister and rebuke them in, in, in such a way, we're talking to them in such a way that we're hoping that reconciliation, that their repentance will take place so we have the opportunity to forgive them because that's how God interacts with us. Even though we do the same thing over and over again, seven times a day toward God, he continually and constantly responds to us in forgiveness. And so the problem is not that that person has sinned against us. It's that they've ultimately sinned against God. And so we say something about it, not ultimately so they can, we can get the I'm sorry that we're looking for, but ultimately so they don't stay separated from God. There are some cool things that might take place as a result. You may just restore a relationship. Listen, some relationships are going to stay broken. And that's just a reality of living in a broken world. So I'm not saying that forgiveness looks like you being reconciled to every single person in your life. Some relationships are going to stay broken because you have done what you've done on your end, but it's up to that other person and their relationship with God to figure out what's going to happen on their end. But leave that up to God and the other person to work out. We're called to handle it on our end. And we may just realize that when we do, we have a new lease on life. The bitterness that's taken us captive for so long that we've held on to can turn into freedom and maybe even joy. Stephen Arterburn, who's a counselor, writes this. He says, unresolved anger keeps us from moving forward because it locks us in a time machine frozen on the exact moment when a particular offense occurred. Fear of further injury makes us willing to move to new levels of relationship, not only with those who have hurt us, but with anyone who represents a similar threat. Furthermore, if we allow unforgiveness to continue, we are likely to experience depression, bitterness, or both. Yet more important than any of these concerns is the most serious consideration of all, the spiritual consequences of forgiveness, alienation from God. And that's what truly matters. God is our great king, and we have offended him. We have sinned against him a ton in our lives. He's experienced a ton of being wronged from us and from humanity. But he's also gone to amazingly great lengths to forgive us of all of that. And so what's supposed to be markedly different about us as Christ followers and our knowledge of what God has done for us through Jesus and his death on the cross and resurrection to continue to allow our reconciliation to, be God, to, to God to be possible is that that knowledge and faith in that is supposed to change how we interact with other people when it comes to forgiveness. And yes, there's great that there's physiological benefits. And yes, it's great that there might be uh, benefits for uh, relationships being restored and that those things might be possible. But what's even better is that it's an opportunity to us to be re- for us to be reconciled to God. And every time that person who offended you pops back into your mind or maybe hurts you again is another chance to say, man, God, is, man, is this what it feels like for you? That all of humanity has done this to you time and time again, and yet your response is continually and eternally offer love instead of bitterness. To offer salvation instead of a grudge. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We're able to feel free to forgive because we have been forgiven.
And when we remember that in our relationships, we'll remember that when the name and that face pops up or that person comes back into our life, we're able to handle it in such a way that releases the bitterness, the rage, and the grudge that's been holding us back and experiencing the type of freedom through forgiveness God wants for us. And so if you're, if you're a Christian this morning already, like this is, a, this is an encouragement and a reminder to us that we are in a place where, man, the offense is done against us. Man, that doesn't matter. We're, we're children of God. We're already his. And so it's really between that person and God what's ultimately. And so we can, we can live with open hands and forgiveness in that. If, if you've not experienced that forgiveness yet, maybe, maybe you've been in a place where it's like, I don't know, I feel free about any of these things we've talked about the last, last five weeks, and so I'm kind of glad this series is over at this point. Maybe, maybe it's, it's time to finally say, well, man, I've I got to give up control of these things. Because that's what the big issue is, is saying, I, I don't know that I've actually made Jesus Lord of my life at this point to be able to experience this kind of freedom. And if that's the case for you, I would love to uh, have a conversation with you about that and talk about what it looks like to start that faith journey or maybe uh, begin this moment of experience the freedom that God calls us to through his son, Jesus. Let me, let me pray for us uh, to that end. God, uh, um, whatever next step that we need to take this week, uh, we, we've, uh, my guess would be that we've been convicted of that as um, as we've been thinking about uh, the people that we know that um, maybe we need to seek forgiveness from or the people that we need to um, forgive that we've been holding on to for way too long. God, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's that we need to forgive ourselves finally because you've already forgiven us. And so it's time to stop beating up ourselves because it's not what you do through Jesus. God, we ask that um, maybe if, if this sounds foreign and strange to, to finally give up and release control over life to, to you as the author and perfecter of our faith, as the one who creates us, as the one who dies and lives for us, God, I would ask that um, you would use your Holy Spirit to give us the knowledge that we need, the, the peace that we need, and the courage that we need to um, continue to follow you or maybe start following you for the first time. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. So right now as we jump into communion like we do every week, uh, there's this verse that sticks out to me. It's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Um, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins which sounds, man, that, that's, that's kind of tough. Like that seems like kind of a high, high bar. Well, it's because <clears throat> as God looks at us and he sees the things that we continue to hold on to and won't let go in, in our life, that those things need to be killed. They need to be destroyed. And that's what Jesus does for us on the cross. He takes all the sin, he takes all the shame, he takes all the guilt, and he kills it. He destroys it on the cross and he rises again. So that's a continual opportunity for us to be reconciled and redeemed back to him. So as we take communion this morning, and as we're celebrating the free gift of grace and mercy that God has given us through his son, Jesus, let's also consider how we've been forgiven so that we can forgive others.